Minasan, konnichiwa, and welcome to the Board Game Dojo, where today, for the first time, we are going to have a guest top 10 list. That's right. You can be very, very happy because you don't have to listen to just my voice today. You get to have Sam from the Board Game Duel. Sam, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for the invite. Excited to be here. Yeah, now you are from the Board Game Duel, and we today are going to do the top 10 two-player only game. So you want to tell us a little bit before we start the list, a little bit about uh, your show and why you chose that as the category for today. Yeah, sure. Um, our podcast is, as you said, is called Board Game Duel. Uh, the concept is like uh, each episode we have a team and we're uh, two friends uh, talking about games, but uh, like we we each bring a game that is uh, suited for said team and then we argue uh, who has the better game and why and then we let the audience decide. Yeah, and it's a great show. I've listened to it a few times. My wife is even listening to it as well to learn French. So Oh, that's great. And why why so do you focus in on two player games or why did you decide like two player games is what you wanted to do for today? Uh it's just uh, a player account that I uh, play a lot and uh I thought uh, I'm from board game duel and two players. So it's on brand. That makes you know, sense. Marketing. Is... Yeah, oh for sure. <laughs> um is there a partner that you usually have? Who do you usually play with when you play two player games? Because I think that makes a difference on what uh two player games you might have in your top ten. Yeah, for sure. I, I play a lot with uh, my girlfriend. She's a, a gamer too, so we play a lot of two player games together. Um lately it's been mostly uh lighter and shorter games uh during uh, the baby naps time oh yeah uh, but i i also play a lot with uh vince my uh, podcast co-host uh we play a lot of two-player games together as well and uh we like uh fighty and uh in your face uh, kind of games sure well i hope that i can hear some of the successes then in your top 10 list and let's kick it off and since you are the guest i'm going to allow you to go first with your number 10. okay so uh my number 10 is more of a legacy pick i would say uh, i'm not excited to play it as much as i was because i've played it so much in the past uh the game is called mr jack pocket uh, by uh, bruno catala and uh, ludovic mobla and it was published uh first by Hurricane in uh, 2010 so it's kind of a mix between an abstract and a hidden movement game. So one player will be uh, Jack the Ripper, and the other one will be uh, Sherlock Holmes trying to catch them. And what you have is like uh, a grid, a three by three grid uh, with one character on each of the tiles. And one of them is actually Mr. Jack. And only the, the Mr. Jack player knows which one is the, the real one. And then you'll have Sherlock Holmes, Watson, and their dog uh, circling around the grid. And at the end of a round, uh, like the Sherlock Holmes player will get information if the real Mr. Jack is currently uh, in line of sight of one of the three uh, pawns that are like uh, moving around the grid. And there's also some. Uh, a neat uh, accent selection mechanism. So four actions will be available uh, every round. Uh, the Sherlock Holmes player will take pick one. Uh, Mr. Jack then picks two. Sherlock Holmes gets the, the last one. And then the actions are flipped. 
and you so you know on the next round what which actions are going to be available and then on round three you randomize them again so there's a bit of a ebb and flow of uh you know what's coming and then you don't so and it's a bit of a cat and mouse you try to catch uh mr jack uh before the game ends yeah have i you think played i it? played mr i've played mr jack i have not played mr jack pocket mm-hmm. are they mostly the same game uh it's the same concept but i think pocket is superior plays quicker and it's uh, a bit less fiddly and the uh, I really like the the drafting of the actions and stuff. Okay, yeah, that's appealing to me because you're going to see that Mr. Jack is not on my top 10 list. So (laughs) (laughs) maybe Mr. Jack Pocket would have. So that was their number 10. My number 10 is actually also a 3x3 grid game. It is ranked 5,489th on BGG. Um, It is from 2010 by the same designer as Love Letter, and it is called RRR. And it stands for Regality versus Religion Revolution. So mm. in this game, you are you have a three by three grid in front of you and your opponent. And you both have your army. One of you is playing the Regality and one of you is playing the Religion. And those cards in front of you do the same things. But then you have five neutral cards off to the side. You will take turns one by one playing one of your cards on one of these spots on this three by three grid in front of you. And these cards will do different abilities like make one of your opponent's cards now part of your allegiance or get rid of every card that is either diagonal or to the left of the card something like that now these different locations on this three by three grid are worth different amounts of points and once all nine of those spots are filled up then you will count how many points are part of your allegiance and that means that the card is turned towards your opponent whoever has the most points wins and i adore this game i think it is so low in the bgg rankings because this is the second iteration of it it was originally called rr and it was not very well liked at all so then when they came out with the next edition of it which was rrr people were like oh, why would i want to play that game but it is now so much more deliciously tense this is apparently the advanced version of rr and it is a constant game of i don't want to put out my best cards yet because They could turn them into their allegiance, and I don't want to give up this really good card to them. But at the same time, if I wait too long, there's only one card per spot most of the time. So then I'm going to let them put on their good card onto that spot. So it's, I kind of want to not do anything at this time, but I kind of need to, or else I'm going to wait too long. And the neutral cards, the neutral characters in this game, you only choose five of a 16 possibilities. So every game is going to feel different with different abilities happening at the same time. So I really recommend it. If And the newer editions of it actually come in the size of a deck of playing cards. So it's really, really portable as well. And that is my number 10, RRR by Seiji Karai and Hayato Kisaragi. Art by Keita Komiyama and Noboru Sugiura, and it's either published by Igiari here in France or XV Games if you get it abroad. That sounds really nice. I I don't think I've heard of it. I'm hoping I'm hoping that I have a couple on here that you would be interested in that you haven't heard about. Is there a digital implementation available? I- I do not know if there is, but I know that there's a bunch of versions that are available and I'm seeing it as for only like eight or ten dollars on the used game market. Like it is not really well liked at all. 
which is a disappointment because I quite like it. Yeah, I'll be on the lookout for it, for sure. All right, so moving All on, right. what is your number nine? My number nine is the game called Trickshot by Artyom Nechiprov and published by Wolf Designer. So it's the same publisher and designer as uh, Guards of Atlantis 2, which is my uh, favorite game of all time. And this one is, a, I like to call it a mix between Can't Stop and uh, the uh, old video game Ice Hockey that was on the uh, NES. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, where you had like the, the big ones, the small ones and the medium ones uh hockey players so it's basically that but with uh a push your luck uh roll the die element to it so basically when you start your turn uh you pick an action for the first action then you roll a die and if there's a one in six chance that you roll a bust and then your turn ends and then you can continue but for your second action you need to roll two dice and then three four and so on and so forth Okay. So the more actions you want to do, the more likely you are to to bust and fail your actions. And the different actions are like uh, making a pass, moving your players around on this square grid that represent uh, the ice. And uh, you can pass the puck, you can shoot if you have a lane to the net. And uh, so you need to to position your your guys well. And uh, some die roll. Uh, actually allow your opponents to react so they can move their pieces by only one space so they mm-hmm. can get into your passing lane or into your movement lane and uh you also cannot activate the same player twice in a row so if you move you cannot shoot right away you need to move somebody else or do something with uh, another piece and it's really quick to play it's a uh, back and forth and uh there are some uh, ways to to mitigate the die roll. You can uh, you have a certain number of re rolls that you can use, but uh, when you spend them, then you have to do a, a line change. So you have to stop your turn uh, without busting, so you can refresh your players. So it's uh, really thematic. And there's a an advanced mode where like uh, you get a an actual NHL team. And uh, you get like special powers that are somewhat relevant to what the the players in these actual team can do. Oh, that's cool! So if you like ice hockey, it's a it's a really good game for that. I think it's a good game to to bring to people that are not very uh, not into the hobby uh, yet. So you can it can be a good gateway if they if they like ice hockey. Are you a fan of hockey then? Yeah, I am. Who's your team? Uh, the Montreal Canadiens. I'm from uh, the province of <laughs> Quebec, so it's kind of the the most popular pick here. For sure, for sure. I'm originally from Detroit, so I've kind of followed the Red Wings, although not a ton lately because we yeah, aren't very. They good haven't been good in the yeah no for <laughs> the last few. They they were great for like decades, but uh, the last few years have been more uh, difficult. Yeah, but I'm I'm pumped about uh, to hear you say how much you like Trick Shot because I had backed uh, the second edition mm-hmm. of it when it was out. Uh, are you getting the upgrade? Yes, as well. Or are you just keeping with the first edition? No, no, I'm getting the like they change uh, how the special power works. It's uh, much simpler now. Uh, it's 
it's like uh every like you have your defenseman your wingers your center so everyone gets a little special power now yeah and hopefully um it'll also i don't know if late pledges are still available for that but hopefully that'll make it uh more available so if you want to buy into it there might be people getting rid of their first editions for the second edition so those mm -hmm. out there that maybe want to try to get it i know wolf designer is usually really hard to get any of their games but you might see an influx of stuff hit the used game market once that second edition hits yeah and i heard talks about the this one getting a retail version but uh i'm not sure if it's gonna pan out or not i don't want to bring false hopes <laughs> That's a good pick. That's a good pick. I'm really, I'm really happy to hear you say that. So now is my number nine. And my number nine, if you thought 5,489 was low, we're going even lower now because this next one is 9,398. And it is one of the newer ones on my list. This one is from 2022. And it is a small box game. Though literally, it's from small box games. This is from John Cloudus, and it is called An Empty Throne. Hmm. So an empty throne is a game in which you are going to be battling your opponent for control of these three fields that are on the board. And everything is cards in this game. Everything from the fields to the powers to even the rule sheets are just on uh, cards. And you're going to be doing this very simply by either playing a card or moving a card. You only get two actions per turn. And when you play a card, you will either get to do the action that is in that field at the moment or the action that is on the card you just played, or based on the number you played, or if it's the same color of the field that you just played it to, then you can do both. But ultimately, this game is a bit of a dance between you and your opponent, because you are simultaneously trying to make coalitions in the field so you can take control of the field. And you do this by playing a lot of the same number or the same color or doing a bunch of different numbers or different colors. So I think it's like three of the same color, three of the same number, or four different colors, four different numbers in a field, and you get to take control of that field. But at the same time, you want to make combos because if you let a field go without, and you just let your opponent kind of do whatever they want, they are going to take control of that field. So you need to kind of choose, do I want to make a good play that benefits me, or do I want to make a play that harms my opponent? And the nice thing is that's really cool about this is there is no like discarding cards in this game. All the cards that get drawn are going to be played somehow in some way. They might go back into someone's hand temporarily, but they're going to come right back on the board. So you're adding more cards that do different things. And I just really like this game. I have not played a lot of his games, but I hear that this one is probably the most cleaned up version of it. It's like a cleaned up version of Omen, A Reign of War. I don't know if you've played that one. No, uh, I've played an Empty Throne though. Ah, perfect. Uh, well, it was on crowdfunding. I think I tried the digital version uh, actually with uh, Kellen from uh, Board Game Barrage. Oh, wow. I know he's uh, a huge fan of John Claudius, so... Yeah. And we had fun with it. Um, it reminded me a lot of one of the games I will talk about later. <laughs> Teaser. Teaser. Yeah, I hear, I hear for from people who are more experienced with his games that it is if you loved omen you will kind of like a an empty throne if you didn't like omen because it was too messy you thought you will like an empty throne if you were looking for a game to try out what john cloudus does 
it is maybe the best entry point because it has the lowest rules barrier. I will warn mm -hmm. you that when you pick this game up out there, for those who might be looking it up and interested, this game is so text heavy. I do not know why there is so much text. The like the rule sheet that you have, the kind of reminder in front of you is front and back, small text. Mm -hmm. Every card is half. Half the card is just small text. It looks it looks so uh, intimidating when you first see it. It is not actually that bad. Like every color, every card that is the same color, for example, has the same thing underneath it. So you don't actually mm -hmm. have to read it. I will just give you that warning. But I like it. It's my number nine. That is an empty throne designed by John Claudius, designed by, uh, or, uh, with art by Agum Budianto and published by Small Box Games. Right. For my number eight, it's a game called Bandada. Uh, designed by Chase Step and published by uh, Runaman Games, uh, which is a small independent company, kind of like uh, small bugs games actually. Yeah. And this game is about about uh, bird watching. Wow, a game about bird watching. Who who's heard of that, right? It's a revolutionary new concept. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's uh, it's a really neat system where you have. Uh, a set of 12 dice uh, which are shared by both players so you roll all 12 of them at the beginning of the game and there's three different colors and then you're going to be drafting cards with uh, really nice pictures of birds on them and each card will give you one action that will let you uh, re-roll or uh, change the dice maybe uh, upgrade a certain number by uh, one or two pips or stuff like that and uh there's three colors of dice so the the actions are usually restricted to one color and then on each card you will also have scoring conditions which are also related to like uh have a series of one two three four in yellow or uh, have pairs of the uh, same color and same number or uh you will get more points if there's more trees, three dice with three pips, whatever it is the color. Mm -hmm. And so you're adding scoring conditions to your tableau like every round. There's only four rounds, so it goes pretty quickly. But uh, at the same time, you're looking at what the opponents uh, has drafted and how they are scoring because each card are scored at the end of every round. In fact, you score them immediately when you draft them and then you score them again uh, after both players have taken their turns and this happened four times so you're constantly looking at like okay what's bringing me the most points what's bringing my opponent the most points how can i disrupt them while helping me which card can i take that lets me do that and it's super tinky it's like the game is quick and simple but y y there's so many calculations going on every turn and it's you can really uh snap your brain uh, like thinking about every opportunity so it might not be the best uh game for uh, analysis paralysis prone players but uh it's really a fun and thinky one and there's more to it than you first think when you see it for sure and we just talked about this game uh on monday of this week so plug in for oh, our right. Plug in for my podcast, but <laughs> but hold on. Yeah, a second, I, I saw the title, I'm but I'm sure you said two player only games, and this is definitely for one player as well. Are you already cheating? 
Uh, looks like I am. <laughs> and actually, Trickshot is uh, for two or four players as well. Oh, my goodness. You're the one who I... came up with the rules for this list. <laughs> <laughs> but to, to my defense, I think Trickshot is a better two-player game than a better four-player experience. And same with Bandera. I've played the solo a little bit, but it's... Uh, it's a kind of beat your own score or beat the, the score you're drafting. So it's not as exciting as when usually when I play a solo, I want like a definitive clear lose condition, not the, just a score to beat. Sure. Sure. I mean, I will allow because Bandada is definitely very good at two in which we just talked about, like it is recommended. So I'll allow it this time. I will also allow it because I'm also cheating for my number eight. So you beat me to it. <laughs> but I'm cheating in a different way because I'm picking two games here because oh. ultimately they scratch the same itch. But I think it depends on what you want. So my number eight spot goes to two of my favorite two player trick takers. The first one is ranked 10,683 and is released last year and it is violet in the grumpy niece violet in the grumpy nisa i don't know how to pronounce that word is it niece or nisa sam oh in french yeah we would say yes yes oh i like that we're going with yes and it is a game that kind of reminiscent of jekyll and hyde if you've ever played that one where you have two players that are a um that are asynchronous not asynchronous that's not the right word asymmetric there we go there we go (laughs) <laughs> I'm struggling with English. I swear it's my it's my native language. Um, and so one of you is playing Violet, and your goal is to get to the end of the path. And one of you is playing Torek, who is the grumpy Nyes. And they are trying to prevent Violet from getting to the end of the path. And you have different cards that do different abilities. And ultimately, I like this one better than Jekyll and Hyde. I felt like it never felt super satisfying to win as either Jekyll or Hyde. And so ultimately, I actually just kind of fell off of it. Whereas I think in Violet in the Grumpy Yes, Violet is so hard to win as. Like it is excruciatingly hard. And so you can actually play this as the more experienced person with trick taking can play as Violet, and somebody new to trick taking can play as Toric. And it's a wonderful two player trick taker in this one, which is different than the other two player trick taker that I usually pull out. And this is for people who are more familiar with trick taking. And I mean, Violet and the Grumpy Yes works for if you're experienced with trick-taking as well. It's very fun back and forth. But this other one is much more for if you want a little twist on trick-taking. And it is ranked 15,024. And it came out in 2018. And it is Peter's Two Sheepdogs. So first of all, award for the cutest game that is going to be on the top 10 list today for me is Peter's Two Sheepdogs. Because instead of cards, they use 3D printed animal meeples that have numbers on them. They are adorable. And you are actually using the box as one of the components because you are playing trick-taking and Moncala. So you will try to win your trick, and whoever loses the trick will get to play Moncala with the rest of the pieces. And you are trying to win tricks in both the first half and the second half, but try to balance them out. Because let's say you win two tricks in the first half of the game, which is spring. In summer, if you win less tricks than that, so if you win less than two tricks, you get zero points for the whole second half of the game. But if you double what you won in the spring, you get double points for your spring total. So so it's kind of bouncing out of like the first half of the game, you really want to win, but you don't want to win too much. And neither does your opponent. You also don't want to win because you do kind of want to play Moncala and different pieces can get rid of 
uh, some of the pieces that are going to be scoring for either you or your opponents, or maybe you've scored too much. So you want the pieces in your thing that gets rid of some of those points so that you can more easily pass it later. I think both of these games scratch a great itch of two player trick taking. I wanted to put both of these on because Peter's two sheepdogs, I think personally is the better game of the two, but is also about an infinity. It's like a million times harder to get. Whereas mm-hmm. Violet and the Grumpy Nisa, you can just order from the online store. So I just wanted to give two options there. Have you played either one of these? No, but I really want to now because my number seven was going to be Jekyll versus Hyde. Oh, all right. Well, that's a great transition. Let's just go straight into it. <laughs> yeah. So again, uh, two-player trick-taking. Uh, the twist for this one is that uh, one of you is Jekyll. You want to uh, balance the the tricks to be one uh, as equally as possible between two players. And then Mr. Hyde wants to go null or to win them all. And we'll score points based on the, the difference of tricks taken. And uh, another another neat thing about this one is that the suits are decided by the order of plays. So the first uh, suit played is the the weakest one, and then the second one is the in the middle, and there's a third one that becomes the best. And I really like this aspect of timing of when do you want to play your cards and the decisions when you're. Uh, playing the hide side, do I want to try to win them all? Do I want to try to lose them all? Do I want to stay open and see what my opponents has? Um, I like the management of of this one, and there's also the the potions that you can play that are s- sort of offsuit card that have different powers depending on whether the suit is played in the trick with them. So yeah, there's there's a lot going on, but and it plays so quick like you you play three three rounds and then you're done and it's uh you can switch sides because in this one again it's i think it's easier to win as uh jekyll i don't know if you you had the same experience with it i've only played a couple of times i don't remember who was the easier one off the top of my head i definitely had the feeling though that one of them was can't remember i'll take your word for it that it was jekyll but I, I definitely agree with your point of like, it is quick. I think you could probably play Jekyll versus Hyde twice in the time that it takes you to play Violet and the Grumpy Niece once. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for a quicker one, I think definitely yours is going to be the one to go for. But yeah, I'm definitely uh, want to try yours as well, because uh, I love trick taking and uh, I'm discovering that there are more and more uh, two player trick taking that I taught. Yeah, I think it's it's becoming more popular. There's also Catchy, which is pretty good. It didn't make my list of two players. I think it's now nine lives from board from uh, all play, so that, okay. that's also pretty gettable as well. But I just want to credit the the people from my games real quick. So Violent and the Grumpy Nisa is designed by Pedro Pereira and art by Karina Duncan and published by Aggie Games. And Peter's Two Sheepdogs is designed by Shibu and art by Sai Beppu and released by Suki Games. Anything else you wanted to say about Jekyll versus Hyde before I move on to my number seven? Yeah, so it was designed by Geo Neil, uh, art by uh, Vincent Dutre, and published by Mendu Games. Well, I, that worked out really well that we that we ended up uh, doing two player trick takings right back to back. So I'm yep. going to go on to my number seven then, which is ranked three thousand three hundred and eight. How about that? We're in the top five thousand now. You proud of me, <laughs> Sam? <laughs> and this is from two thousand eighteen. And it is probably the game that 
I have found that I am one of the lone voices of who really like this game, and it is Yokohama Duel. Mm. So Yokohama Duel is the two-player version of much more beloved Yokohama, which is this big sprawling game that is all about uh, you know doing a little bit of contract fulfillment. You want to go to the church or customs and get some uh, area control there, and then maybe. Uh, you need to go to the fish market so that you can actually fulfill the contracts, things like that. You're going all around and then you're building up storehouses and trade houses so that you can have um, more power in each of your spots. Because if you go to the fish market, for example, with only one power, well, you only get one fish. But if you wait and add more power and you get like three power, now you get three fish. So that helps you for the contract that might need four fish to fulfill. What Yokohama Duel, though, does is, and this is where I think a lot of people bounced off of it, is... I think what the purpose of Yokohama Duel was, was to say, okay, what was really common in Yokohama was, I think more people familiarize themselves with it, with this worker, like their worker placement method of leaving down one worker in a couple different spots and then having to make a trail where you're going. Mm -hmm. But I think, and I, I don't know this for sure, but I think Hisashi Hayashi said, okay, you know what, there's another important part of the game that doesn't work at two, even though Yokohama is good at two, is that there's no blocking. And blocking is a huge part of when you play Yokohama at four players. So Yokohama Duel is almost all about blocking. If somebody goes to one of the spots on the board, you can now not go there for the rest of the round. Mm. So it is a, and you have to play from the lowest power card to the highest power card. You have four cards in front of you, one power, two power, three power, four power. And you have to, both of you have to play from the one power up to the four power. So you have to decide, is it worth taking the risk and waiting so that maybe you need that three power to go to the fish market and get the fish for your recipe. But if your opponent plays there before you, well, guess what? Now you have zero fish and that's not mm -hmm. going to help you at all. And I just, I love how much you have to actually read your opponent and actually figure out what they need. I love two player games that initiate that kind of, I am paying attention to what I want, but I care so much about what my opponent wants. What is my opponent doing? And I, I just, I really adore this game. I think if you go into it with that expectation of what that that's what Yokohama Duel is, you're going to enjoy it more. I also think that because the original release was like 50 or $60, which you absolutely do not need metal coins for this game. I don't like, <laughs> I know, I know it works for the Kickstarter. You don't need it. You don't need wood pieces in Japan. You can get it retail for like $25. Oh, that's, that's a little bit different of an evaluation of like, is this game good enough for $60 versus is this game good enough for $25? So, I don't know. Uh, you can hear much more about what I think about Yokohama Duel in a podcast that we did before. I'll leave it in the show notes that we talked about Yokohama, Yokohama Duel, and Yokohama Roll and Write and compared the three. So, if you want to hear more about that, go to there. But that is Yokohama Duel, and that is designed by Hisashi Hayashi with art by Scott Hartman, Hisashi Hayashi, Adam P. McIver, and Ryo Nyamo. And it is published by Okazu Brand. Have you played this? Have you played Yokohama or Yokohama Duel or Yokohama Roll and Write? I've played the. Original Yokohama, and uh, I love it. It's it's really good, and uh, I heard about the the dual version on on your podcast actually, and I was like, oh yeah, I want to try that. It's great. We I'm I would uh, pound the table for BGA to get an implementation. I think it would be so easy for them to do. Yeah, but if I make my way up to up to Quebec, then uh, I'll bring it. I'll bring my copy. Oh, for sure, it's a date. Yeah. All right. What's your number six? <laughs> 
My number six is a little bit of an underrated game as well. Uh, it's ranked 7,217 on BGG. It's oh. called uh, Battlecrest, um, colon, Fellwood base game for the the base game because there's a bunch of expansions for it. It's, uh, it was designed by Dustin Dobson and Milan Zivkovic. I'm sure I'm butchering that, but I'm sorry. And it's uh, published by uh, Badenshai Games. Uh, you're... So for those of you who are not familiar, Badenshai uh, published like uh, wallet games. So it's a, a set of 18 cards uh, that fits in a, a little wallet. And this one uh, wants to be like a skirmish type uh, fighting dueling game. So some of the cards are used to create like a... Uh, uh, a map with terrains and uh, position really matter in that game because if you're next to some cards, you will, uh, you might get boost on your abilities like uh, more range, more damage, or more defense or stuff like that. And there's also uh, traps. So if you uh, want to move into that, you will take damage, or you can force your opponent to move into them to to damage them. And you will get a couple of cards that are your character so one of them will be uh your card will be moving on the table around the the other terrain cards and the rest will be like your abilities and whenever you want to do an ability or defend you need to uh tap a card and then okay. it will do something based on how many symbols you have and the symbols you have you 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 have some of them that are like there all the time but some of them are there only when you tap a card so when it's tapped, it gives you one battle crest. So this will enhance your other abilities. So you might do more damage or attack at longer range once you have tapped some of your cards. And then you need to take an action to refresh sometime because you can only do actions with cards that are untapped. But when you, you refresh, you flip the cards and then there's something else on the other side. It's a different ability, different crest. So there's a really neat... Uh, management of your cards like do you want to leave them all out uh, do you want to rest early because uh the way the game is designed is the the best synergies are not necessarily on the same starting side so two cards might synergize as well with the back of two other cards so you want, might want to use those cards first and then refresh so that you can get all your combos lined up but then maybe your opponents throw some wrenches into your plan and that doesn't work because you have to to defend yourself and you have to to tap a card to do that and stuff like that. So it's uh, super quick to play, and again, kind of a cheat because technically it plays. Uh, you can play solo. There's a solo mode with one of the expansions, but the base game is only like one v one. That's interesting. I have never heard of this game. Actually, I've never played a button shy game ever. Really, uh, I think to... you would love Sprawlopolis. That seems to be the most popular one. I've heard about yeah. it quite a bit. It's really hard to get abroad, well. though. Like mm. that's the thing is like Buttonshy is almost non-existent in Japan. Uh, so I think Madago has some French editions of them. Uh, yeah, maybe while I'm here, they probably have some in France as well. Yeah, maybe while I'm here, I'll try to pick up a copy. Yeah, it sounds interesting though. I'm trying to imagine like a skirmish game in 18 cards. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. 16 cool. six of them are terrains and then each player has six cards to represent their health and uh 
your character and their abilities and yeah it's really neat that sounds it all right and so now my number six i'm also going to cheat in the same way i cheated before in that i'm picking two games for this spot hey it's just additional content for people really it's like instead of like top 20 so so far we don't have any crossover which i'll be surprised if we keep going on this pace i think we'll have (laughs) one or two yeah but i think so this this next spot so the number six spots are two games that are very divisive either you really like them or you hate them and they are both couples games so my first one is ranked 4628 and it is and then we held hands so and then we held hands is a game in which you are trying to work together and it has to be silently in which you are just trying to get to the middle of this board and you are going to have cards splayed out in front of you either left or right and based on which side of the board you are on is which way they splay so if you're on the left side your cards need to be splayed left and so only part of the cards are there and only colors on that half are shown if you're on the right side of the board they're splayed the other way right and you are trying to work together because you can't really speak but you can play a card that's in front of you or you can actually take a card from the other player and this is a cooperative game i should say that you're both trying to work together and kind of like Mm -hmm. the theme of the game is that you're in a fight and so that's why you're not talking to each other but you're trying to like coordinate your feelings so that you meet in the middle oh that's cute and the production value is off the charts on this one it actually won the best print in play when it came out so originally but i when i was searching for this game i had heard about it more, so I was surprised to see it at 4,628. And when I say it's divisive, it's like people are eights or nines, or it's like two. Oh, no in between. So, so yeah, it was really interesting. But the other game is actually the same way, but it seems to scan like or it tends to skew higher. And I think that is partly based on the shut up and sit down review. Because it is ranked 1,313 from 2017, and that is Fog of Love. Fog of Love is the one that I prefer of these two versions. And in Fog of Love, you are acting out, and acting is the strong word here, you are acting out a full-blown relationship in which you will draw these kind of personality traits on top of you uh, or about your character that you're playing. And you need to keep in that mindset that you are not playing as you, you are playing as the character. And then your partner will be picking um, something else about you that is like a, another characteristic of you that is supposed to be reminiscent of this is the first thing I noticed when I met you. And you are going to be kind of going through life a little bit and going through different scenarios of what happened and having to choose how your character would react to it because you start with these end goal cards and they might be something like you want to get married and have a family or it might be something like you want the relationship to end but you don't want to be the one to break it up. <laughs> and so you're spending half the game Like you can, as the game progresses, you are getting rid of some of these end goals that you don't think are going to happen in the relationship. But it is really funny as you're kind of sitting there with this card that says, you cannot be the one to end it, but you want it to end. You are not liking this relationship. And you're like, um, what can I do? Uh, okay. Your best friend is going, is getting, is, has a birthday party. No, I don't want to go. It's not important to me at all. I'm a bad, I'm a bad relationship, aren't I? You should really break up with me. <laughs> but, but then you're, but then the person across from you has the I want to get married and have a kids card, and so they're like, no, 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 you're just having a bad day. Fine. It's like, oh no. It. I think that this game works really well if you are able to um, 
keep in that mindset of that you are acting as characters. I think that this is probably one of the best games for people that want to go from tabletop RPGs to board games because it teaches kind of so many um, different mechanics in board games, but still gives them that role play ability that I just think it is when you are playing it with the right people. And that's kind of what this top 10 list. It's kind of how I ordered it of these are the best possible situations when playing these games. I think that this game is one of the best two uh, two player games. Just it doesn't even have to be two player exclusive games. I think it can be one of the best two player games that have ever come out. Have yeah, you tried this one? I haven't. I, I've heard a lot about it. Um, my girlfriend wanted to try it with me, but I I was worried we would uh, forget that we're playing characters and that things might get a bit iffy. That happened with uh, my wife and me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, she is not a fan. She's not a fan of the game. But but uh, I'd be I'd be interested to try it with a friend, just the, to role play it, and uh, I'm sure we would have fun. Yeah, and it's it also makes kind of for a two player game too. It's kind of weird that I would play this when I have like one or two friends over, and I would just simply watch and try mm-hmm. to be the the friend that's kind of like the mutual friend of both people, and be like man, he's really treating you badly. You should really like break up with him. This is awful stuff. It's kind of fun to do that. But that is Fog of Love by uh, Jacob Yaskov and uh, art by Cicely Fossheim, Mike Hogard, Lotte M. Klicksbull Yaskov. Oh, okay. Maybe that's the wife. Uh, Jans Weiss. And it is published by Hush Hush Projects. And then then We Held Hands is designed by David Cherkup and Yannick Massa. It has art by Marie Cordouat and david shirkup and todd sanders and that is published by luda creations so right. you're now in the top five i yeah, am very surprised are... like i said that we have no crossovers yet but i am now only in the top a thousand. Oh, okay um, How about maybe you? this one might be a crossover then uh it's a very popular game it's called patchwork by uwe rosenberg published by lookout games is it our first crossover no, because I don't like oh. it. Oh, I don't like it at all, actually. But I'm going to let you go for it because it's not about me not liking two player <laughs> games. It's about which ones we like. But <laughs> but go for it. Patchwork. Yeah. So this one is about uh, making a patchwork. Uh, so it's kind of like a, a Tetris board game. So you have like all these different pieces of square pieces patched together uh, with uh various shapes some of them are easier to fit than others and there's kind of like three currency in the game uh there's the the number of uh squares that you can uh, the goal of the game is to like uh, make a patchwork that covers all your board so the bigger pieces are more valuable in that sense because you get negative points for every empty pieces uh and then some of the pieces will give you uh, buttons because they have buttons, icons on them. And then at certain points in the game, you get income based on how many buttons you have collected on your board. And most importantly, all the pieces also have a, a, an hourglass with a number on it. So it's a number of uh, space you will advance on the, the time track. And whenever uh, you reach the end of that track, then your game is over. So some pieces are really interesting, but they get, they make you go far ahead. So that's not good. And you can, uh, the current player is always the one that is behind. So if you take a lot of 
small pieces you you might be able to take multiple turns in a row and there's always like three pieces available to the current player so you have to to check what you're leaving available to to the opponent after you're you're done uh, so there's a lot to consider for a very simple game and you can play it really good you can play it really bad it's uh uh yeah it's a lot of fun i like the 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 spatial puzzle aspect of it too like uh, fitting the piece together on my board i was a, a huge tetris player when i was younger i had the the game on my uh original game boy that might uh says a lot about my age i was gonna say uh that's before i was born but what ifs <laughs> 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 but no i think patchwork is if if you're out there watching this listening to this it's gonna be on podcast and youtube um patchwork is definitely one of those games that i am in the very small minority of people who don't like this game it is it is there is a reason it is often recommended as for two-player games it is a really good pick my wife really likes this one actually so i guess you have to play it a lot too i i used to okay but I think uh, for me, it's just the spatial puzzle. I think it is one of those games where um, I think when there's other stuff to do other than spatial puzzles, I like the game. But if spatial puzzle is the only thing that I have to do, then I don't like it as much because hmm. I, I didn't do Tetris and stuff either. So maybe that's it. But I, th I know a lot of people that like it. So that's a good pick for the top five. That's a good start. What's your number five? My number five is ranked 455. Um, it is from 2019, and it is called Mandala. Mandala is a game in which, oh man, I have never watched my opponent's board like as much of a hawk as I do when I am playing this game. So the way it works is that you have two mandalas that are on the that are set up on the board, and you can play to either one of these boards. And on both mandalas, there is a center section in which any card that is played to that, you will score. And if you play a card to that, you can draw three cards. So great, because you need the hand. Like, you need to increase the number of cards in your hand. But you can also play to your own side of the mandala. And that is how you will gain priority to actually pick which card, which color card you want to score. Because in the middle, once all six colors are in one of the mandala, and you can't repeat colors, so once one person has played purple to the right mandala, for example, neither one of the players can play another purple to the right mandala. Once you, once all six colors are there in that mandala, you are going to take turns picking which color from the center section you want to score that go to your score pile. Now, the first time you choose a color, you will get to put it on the bottom, and the later that you have uh, chosen that color for the first time, the more points it's worth. So if the first color that you've chosen to score is purple, that is worth one point for every purple card for the rest of the game. Then green is the next one you do. Okay, green is worth two points for every green color that you have for the rest of the game, things like that. So you are constantly deciding whether or not you want to play to the center section because you want points. Of course you want points. But at the same time, that person over there really wants to have blue because blue is now worth four points for every blue they want. I need to make sure that they don't get blue. So I'm going to play it to my side. If I play it to my side, however, I don't get to draw any cards. So I'm quickly mm. running out of cards at the same time. So it is this constant back and forth of trying to decide, okay, 
do I want to risk losing this color and giving them a lot of points? But at the same time, I need a hand of cards and I want to be scoring points too. I love games that do that, that in which, like I said earlier, I am watching my opponent play. And I am keeping an eye on their board. I am keeping an eye on their score pile. I am keeping an eye on what colors for them score the most points to try to keep it out of their hand. I think that that is the best way for two-player games to be because it is just so much more interactive in that way. Have you played Mandala or what do you think of games like it? I I haven't played it, but uh, this this is music to my ears you know i love a very interactive two-player game i love watching what the other is doing and like like you said it matters to you uh you have to be like you're always torn between helping you and disturbing them and yeah uh, this sounds perfect for me and it's really cheap too i think you can often get it for around 20 or 25 dollars for a game of this much replayability, this much of a puzzle is really, is really nice. And that is my number five mandala. That is by Trevor Benjamin, Brett J. Gilbert. And the art is by Clemens Franz. I could not believe it. <laughs> because um, it looks good. Because it looks good. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yes, this looks a lot better than Agricola. Um, and it is published by Lookout Games. All right. All right number four. I think now we're getting to the will... good games, right? Yeah. And, um, uh... I'm cheating again because it's not uh, two-player-only games. It's uh, Innovation by ah, okay. Carl I'll, I'll allow one. <laughs> so it's a game we've, we've been playing a lot lately, uh, you and me on BGA. Yes. Uh, so it's a civilization team game, uh, but it's mostly uh, about uh, tableau building and, and management. So you'll be playing cards. Uh, cards are split between different eras you have the era one which is like uh and all cards are like uh, innovation so the era one will be like the wheel uh, writing and stuff like that up to modern times where you'll get stuff like ai and uh, satellite and stuff like that and you have everything in between and on those cards there will there will be uh symbols uh i think there's 12 different symbols or 10 I don't, I'm not sure, but there's a lot of them. Uh, some of them are uh, on cards from all different eras, and some of them are like uh, only in the beginning or in the middle game or in the late game. Sure. And again, you're constantly watching what the others are doing because the powers on the card, uh, you can use them only if you have more of a specific symbol than your opponent's. So if I have more leaves than you, then I can do the power. And if you have more leaves than me, then I can still do it sometimes, but I will have to share the power with you. So you will get to do it first, and then I get to do it. So you're always watching what the, the other is building in his tableau, uh, trying to to outraise them for the most of the specific symbol. Uh, and the... When you start playing this game, it looks like pure chaos and it's like just LOL, random things happen. But the more you play, the more you learn that you, you need to be able to kind of ride the chaos wave and you can kind of control it uh, by knowing what cards are in the deck. Because there's not, uh, there's a lot of them, but 
it's after a few plays you especially the earlier ones you you start to to remember what you must be on the lookout for what your opponents can potentially do to you with those cards and there are many ways to win the, the most straightforward one is just get many points and then you can score the cards but there are also special conditions that get you special cards that you you must always have them in mind so oh yeah if there's playing a lot of cards uh, rights and up that uh, they might get a, a special point like that and some of the later cards will like straight up get you to win if you meet a certain conditions and some of them are really crazy you know you say that there's like a lot of ways to win this game but in our games i seem to find many ways to lose um <laughs> I like how you picked out the leaves because what was it like an hour ago you had like 12 leaves in your pile so you got to like take out my whole score pile so we were three quarters of the way through the game and i had zero points <laughs> yeah but then you, you were just like hey leaves <laughs> but then <laughs> like, you yeah the leaves <laughs> you played a card like the bicycle which is usually useless because you trade your score pile with your hand but then i what i did is make all your score pie cards go to your hand so you send them just right back into to your score pie so there's crazy swings like this you can be down 5-0 in the scoring and still come back for the 6-5 win i've seen that happen a couple of times it, it definitely feels as though every every card that you play or every card that is played against you seems very unfair it seems like mm -hmm. there is no way you can do that. Show me that card that says that you can do that. But then the very next turn, you go, well, now it's my turn. I'm going to do something. And your opponent goes, no way you can do that. I've, I've heard this game described as like flux for gamers. Mm -hmm. Or something like that, because it's just it is chaos. But I have to agree. It is it is great. I would have put this on the list if I, you know, was cheating as well. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> fair, fair. I think you've I think you have beaten me enough times in innovation that I will allow it this time <laughs> this but is my really last cheat oh this is your last one okay um so my number four is uh 820 on board game geek and it is fugitive so fugitive is a cat and mouse game is my choice for a cat and mouse game that we have here in which one of the players is playing as the uh titular fugitive and the other one is playing as the inspector detective trying to track it down so basically the fugitive has a hand of cards that is possible hideouts that are possible hideouts and the fugitive's goal is just to make it to the last hideout and hide successfully throughout the time and there are rules of how far the fugitive can move at any certain time but they can use multiple cards from their hand to go further than that move limit but that also means now that they have less possible hideouts that they can possibly hide it because they're going to play a card upside down to the table. Let's say it'll be the first two cards of the table. Well, you know, it's going to be somewhere between one and seven. So the cop is going to guess something like two. Well, if they're correct, then the fugitive has to say like, yep, I was hiding in the two. And if at any point the inspector finds all of them, all of the hideouts, the inspector wins. If the fugitive makes it to the end, then the fugitive wins. And I love the system of just how easy it is to get into right away. The rulebook is really easy to read, which I know Fowers Games gets a lot of slack for bad rulebooks, but I think this one is pretty solid here. And it is so fun for both 
hobbyist gamers and people that are new to gaming at the same time. The theme and the art are really evocative. It is both fun to play as the fugitive and the inspector. How many two-player games can you play of like, like we were talking about Jekyll and Hyde or Violet and the grumpy Nisa earlier of like, one of them feels a lot more, like can sometimes feel more fun or easier than the other one to play. But this one, both of them feel really fun. And I'm so excited for the new version of it. That is come that was uh I think it was crowdfunded last year where they're using the shift system from Mind MGMT. Okay. Where um based on how well you're doing, based on the fugitive and inspector, whoever's winning more games, you can add in different powers and different things to change the game. Yeah, that's neat. So when you're playing really with the same player over and over, that uh, can spice things up and kind of uh equalize uh, balance out the the skills and everything. That's good. Yeah, have you played? I haven't. Uh, I've heard of it. Uh, yeah, I like those kind of games where you have to play the other player as much as you play the game, where there's some mind games and bluffing and counter bluffing. I think this looks like it can uh, suit that aspect. So the, yeah, and it's so quick uh, too. Like it takes it can be as short as like 10 minutes if you get caught really really early so that is fugitive it's uh designed by tim fowers it the art is by ryan goldsberry and it is published by fowers games top three time still no crossovers yeah i'm starting to doubt that we'll get some but uh let's see uh, have you played you said an empty throne is actually the only one of my games that i've picked that you've actually played so far which is a little bit surprising uh yeah i guess that's right. We'll see. Maybe that's right. why we don't have that many crossovers. <laughs> I, I, my top three are well. My number one is I think decently popular. My number two and threes are really popular. So we'll see. Okay. Let's start with your number three. My number three isn't that popular, but I like it a lot. It's uh, Rift Force by Carlo Bortolini and uh, One More Time Games. So okay. this is a card game. Uh, and it's a dueling um, uh, where you're you're playing on many lanes, uh, kind of like uh, an empty throne. Actually, that that's what that's the one I was teasing back uh, when you were ah, talking okay. about this okay. one. So you have five lanes where you're competing against the other player to to get control. And at the beginning of the game, you will be uh, drafting four. Uh, elemental ability so the kind of generic magic the gathering or uh uh the uh, element golems stuff that you like the fire the ice the wind and so on and so forth and each of these uh elements has a like a special ability that you can trigger uh all of them will do damage so the way it works is when it's your turn you can either play up to three cards but they have to be uh either or of the same suit or the same number like each uh at the starting game you you get a, a deck of cards uh with four different suits that you drafted and each suit has like uh, many fives uh, a bit fewer sixes and uh, a couple of sevens so when it's my turn i can play uh three cards either on the same lane on or on adjacent lanes and it has to be uh, three fives or three uh, fires, for example. So either same number or same suit. 
Second option is to uh, discard a card and then activate three cards that were played before. And they have to be uh, the same number or same suit as the card you just discarded. So if I discard a fire five, I can activate five fires or five fives, uh, three fives, sorry. And the last option is to just uh, replenish your hand and then you score for each uh, lane that you're the only player present in that lane. And the other way to score points is just to destroy the opponent's uh, cards. So if you if you have a five, they have five life points and a six has six and so on and so forth. And there's it's really that simple, but there's so much depth because there's like 10 different suits and all of them have different powers. Some of them will move around the lanes and then do a little bit of damage. Some of them will do a lot of damage, but when they're killed by the opponent, they score two points instead of one. Some of them will care about uh, where the card is played uh, because you can play multiple cards in a lane and then only the, the one that is in front is vulner vulnerable to damage usually, but some of them can damage the one at the back. Some of them will do more damage if the unit is already damaged. So you have to, there's a lot of tempo and timing consideration and a lot of end management. Do I want to play all my cards that I can play or do I want to keep some of them to my hand so that I, I can activate them later? And uh, you have to react to what the other player is doing uh, in the game, but also in the draft because some powers combine uh, with each other very well, others not so much. Uh, so I've played this game hundreds of times now on BGA. It's uh, sadly in alpha, and it, I think the development on it uh, has been abandoned. But it's oh no, it, it works really well. So, uh, and I've played in person as well. Uh, I know now there's an expansion that adds uh, new. Uh, card powers and even a solo mode and a two versus two but i haven't tried this one that the og is only 1v1 so that's not cheating right no it's not cheating no uh, i'm bummed well i mean i am alpha so that is nice that i can at least play it but i wish because uh that uh, more people because that sounds like a lot of fun yeah that's and it's right gonna give you like you you can play over and over with the same person and then a meta develops like uh you will always draft fire and then i have to counter it with ice or whatever and then but then i've played with different people and really different meta levels depending on the opponent and so that's that's really neat and with such a simple system to have that much depth i'm i think it's a masterpiece of game design well, that's how it's in your top three. So then it'll move on to my number three, which I think is probably the most common selection when people do like top 10 two player games. I'm pretty sure that this one is like always on there, but that's OK. It is the 18th uh, rated game on Board Game Geek. Do you have a guess as to what this might be? The 18, is that Twilight Struggle? It is not. Actually, you know what? If I were to say that top 10 selection, maybe that one would have been the one. No, it is Seven Wonders Duel. Oh, right. It is Seven Wonders Duel. Now, I do want to be very specific on this one, because I think if it is base Seven Wonders Duel, it would not be this high. I am rating it as Seven Wonders Duel with the Pantheon expansion. I think it is gotcha. absolutely essential. So Seven Wonders Duel, as the base 
game is, is you are drafting, you are going to be one at a time, not drafting, um, picking cards from this pyramid in which some of the cards are face up and some of the cards are face down. And you are doing a little bit of set collection in which you might be draft, uh, might be uh, picking construction materials that'll allow future cards to be uh, cheaper, or you might be getting money, you might be getting science because you might be going for the science win, because if you collect one of each science symbol, you win. You might be going for a military win, so you're collecting swords to try to push this little token all the way to your opponent's side. Now, the reason that I say that the Pantheon expansion is kind of necessary here is because the base game only is this. It is just the pyramid and really nothing else. And I found that after a couple of games, I was kind of getting a little bit tired because you could very easily corner your opponent and very much make it so that there was only one or two viable things for them to do for a complete age. There are three ages in this game, so you could pretty much tell like by the third age the only thing that they were going to be able to do. Because maybe you push them to not get many construction materials, so there's like nothing they can afford for the rest of the game. And that's cool. But what Pantheon does is it adds this other little board on the side that have these one-time, usually one-time powers in which instead of picking a card from the middle, you can instead pick one of the gods from the Pantheon. And they might give an influx of 14 coins, which is way more than you can get any other way. So suddenly, your opponent that maybe you got all the construction materials, like I was just saying, and now, oh, they shouldn't be able to afford anything, right? Well, no, now they just got an influx of 14 coins, and now they can get themselves back in the game. Mm -hmm. And I just find that with the Pantheon expansion, there is just a lot more flexibility, and it is always much tenser, much later in the game. Agreed. And like using a god power to not pick a card can completely shift around as well. Yes. Because you can time it out. You can be like, well, if I pick this card, then they'll have to pick this card, and then I will get that card three cards later. Mm -hmm. But then right. if Good I point. use my god during that sequence, you're screwed. Yeah, you're like, oh, no, now I'm giving them that card three cards later. Oh, no. Yeah, I, that's a good point. Yep. So I think yeah. then you, do you prefer the pan? Do you prefer it as Pantheon or the um, base game? Or have you tried Agora? Yeah, I tried the three expansion. I think I like it best with all of them all together. Uh, I like oh, really? uh, the Agora. Well, on BGA. Uh, I've not tried mm -hmm. it on the table uh, except for the just the base game. But you like okay, all three combined, uh, actually. Mm -hmm, yeah. Okay, I but don't think there's I've a lot to that. Them all oh. three together. There's what? It, it it makes it a lot. Like uh, you have to to watch. Uh, now you have like four win conditions plus the gods and everything and the the treachery uh, power card. So that there's a lot to to keep track of. But uh, digitally, it works well at least. Sure, I might I might have to try that because I've tried it with Pantheon and then I got rid of Pantheon and added Agora to it mm -hmm. to try to like just try out the expansion by itself. I don't think I've done all three. I'll have to try that. But that's Seven Dominators Duel with Pantheon. The original base game came out in 2015, designed by Antoine Bauza and Bruno Cathala. And it the art is by Miguel Coimbra, and it is published by Repos Productions. All right, top two. Yes. From small card games to big, sprawling uh, Ameritrash thing, uh, I'm going with uh, Star Wars Rebellion. 
Wow, My, okay, uh, that is also a really well-loved game. Yeah, and for good reasons. <laughs> uh, designed by Cory Konichka and uh, published by Fantasy Flight Games in 2016. Uh, it's basically the the original Star Wars trilogy in a box. Uh, one player will be playing the the Empire, the other one will be the, the Rebels. And at the beginning of the game, you're hiding your rebel base somewhere on this uh, big map with uh, all the the planets uh, you that you you will recognize if you watch the movies and uh, the, all the TV shows and the expanded universe and whatnot. Uh, are you a Star Wars fan? I'm not, and I actually I was going to ask you when you were done, but so I'll actually ask you the, this question when you're done explaining. Okay. Uh, so yeah. Uh, there's a big game of cat and mouse between the Empire and the Rebels because the Empire will win if they uh, discover discover and take over the Rebel base. And they have... It's a... big part of it is like... Uh, kind of like a troops on a map game where you have like un- different kind of units and spaceships and everything that you move around the galaxy. And uh, the Empire has way more resources than the the little rebels, and uh, the rebels cannot win just by winning fights. They will have to like uh, their goal is to buy time because the there's a like two round markers. One starts at zero, and another one is at uh, I don't remember how many rounds. And when those two meet, the game ends, and the rebel win because the the galaxy uh like uh overthrows the empire and uh as the rebels you can do like uh, missions and if you complete those missions uh the the game will last shorter because the it it makes the game uh, the 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 turn marketing go go back so uh, it's easier for them to meet and then uh, every couple of rounds, you will get like new characters that will be added to your pool, and you get all the the characters uh, that are in the movie, the main ones, and also some more obscure ones. And uh, the different missions and cards, uh, it's it's they they will make you like uh, it could be like an event or a battle, like it happened in one of the movies, but you can. It's kind of a, a what if scenario. Uh, so sure. different characters can be in places that they weren't actually in the movie. So there's kind of a mix and match of like uh, the emperor goes on hunting people instead of Boba Fett or stuff like that. Uh, and uh, you can like, uh, there's a lot of really neat stuff you can do you can as the empire you can capture the characters from the rebels and then you can uh, freeze them in carbonite or try to turn them to the dark side so you can actually uh, i remember a game i played where i was the empire and i was able to capture luke skywalker and turn him to the dark side and he led the the assault the final assault on the rebel base so that a different movie yeah that's the that's the uh, the what if spinoff that they did put on Disney Plus, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So my question would be: Is I think the mechanics of the game sound interesting, but I am I think Star Wars is okay. Like I know enough about it; I've seen all the movies, but I'm not a fan. 
would mm-hmm. I still like this game if I wasn't that interested in Star Wars? Probably. I, I think you have to have at least uh, some base knowledge of it and some enjoyment of it. But like you said, the mechanics are, are good, but they're made much better if you enjoy the, the IP, I would say. Because I think I've heard similar things of um, War of the Ring as well, of kind of like, if you mm-hmm. like Star Wars, pick uh, Star Wars Rebellion. If you like Lord of the Rings, pick War of the Ring. But uh, don't. But if you don't like those IPs, I'm not sure. So, because I've always wanted to try it because it sounds really cool. But I've always been a little bit nervous because I'm not yeah. a Star Wars fan. But I, I'm taking that a... you're a Star Wars fan then? Uh, yes, but I'm uh, also a Lord of the Rings fan, as we might see later in the... Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> That's well. Yeah, we are not going to have any crossover. Oh my goodness! I can't believe this. That if we we made it through, if we make it through this with no crossover, that's just because we have such similar game taste too. Mm-hmm. I thought for sure. Well, my next game is actually the my most played game ever, and it is not even close. I have played the next game over one thousand times. Wow! Mostly because it has a really good iPad app. And it can be very quick. It is ranked 141 on BGG, and it is Star Realms. Oh yeah, so I that a lot too. And Star yeah. Realms for me is the—I don't know if it's the best deck builder, but it is the game that got me into deck building. I played mm-hmm. Star Realms before I ever played Dominion, and so I learned deck building by playing Star Realms. And it was free on the iPad when I got it, so I was like, "What well, you know? What is this thing?" And so I think part of the ranking is this nostalgia and the fact that like I have some really good memories of playing at my work desk, totally working. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but playing Star Realms and really learning it, it was like uh, you know, I got all the expansions for it, so it was lots of fun. So Star Realms is like I said, a deck builder game in which you are building up your deck with different factions so you might have i don't remember the actual names of them but it's like the blue faction and the blue faction is really good at getting coins and gaining health and the red faction is good at getting rid of the cards so that you can build a really lean deck and the yellow cards are really good at fighting and making your opponent discard cards from their hand and then you have the green cards that oh my goodness that's the alien faction and they have are so powerful if you have lots of aliens in your deck because they have lots of like base two damage but if you have another green that you play on the same turn it's plus two more damage so then that's just like gets really big and it is so addictive to try to make just the perfect deck just this game there is a back and forth of okay wait hold on they just drafted green which means that they're definitely going for green so how can i build up protection so that i am good against their green because there's also bases because the ultimate goal of the game is to kill your opponent they will have i don't remember what the start the starting health is is it 30 40 something like that 30 or 40 and so you're just trying to wear down their health points and like i said there are different cards that maybe they can gain health there are bases in which you have to um knock their base out first because it's a defense system so that maybe you have to kill that first before you can actually attack their health and these different expansions add in these crazy wacky combos that you can do it is a really for my money, and again, I'm probably biased, but for me, I actually think that Star Realms is probably one of the easiest deck builders to get into if you are starting off your deck building adventure. I think um, it's, first of all, really cheap. It's way cheaper than Dominion is. You can get the app. I think full price, the app is like 99 cents. 
kind of thing. So really easy. It's really easy to learn. There's not a whole lot of rules going on in there. And it has just supplied hours and hours of fun for me. So I take it that you have also played Star Realms then? Yes, uh, I've played more of Hero Realms, which is kind of the fantasy ah. spin-off, but it's the same principle. You have like four colors and the they build and combo upon each other and you have uh and this one it's guards instead of base that protects you but uh yeah it's uh i enjoy it a lot uh i've played star realms the app but only the the base game i, I i'd be curious to try uh what the expansions bring in uh, because i know in hero realms you can you have like some wacky uh uh modes where one player plays like a big monster and uh, you can have multiple players fighting against them or uh, there's a campaign with a little bit of story driven but mostly like character building and then you can improve on your uh, base deck as the campaign goes on and stuff like that yeah the app has a campaign for sure because i i was playing through the campaign of that and that's really fun of like oh you have to start at like 10 health and it's like (laughs) wait, wait i'm sorry what all right, so that is Star Realms, and that is designed by Robert Doherty and Darwin Castle. It is has art by Vito Gesualdi, and it is published by Wise Wizard Games. Uh, this is the 2014 Just Base game. Just to let you know, you don't need like the $75, $100 Kickstarter with like the foil cards and stuff, unless you want them, of course. <laughs> but before we get to number one, because I think a lot of people are going to turn off the video once we say our number ones, right? <laughs> I got two questions for you. One. What are some of the games that you said that you made like a list of like 15 right away? Were there one or two you wanted to mention of like, ah, these ones just missed it? Yeah, well, there was Seven Wonders Duel that you uh, picked. Uh, Another one that was hard to to cut was uh, Hanami Koji. That was on mine. Yes, that was my number 12. Yeah. Um, So yeah, those are the biggest uh, uh, loser. Uh, Targi was close too. I don't know if you've played that one. Yeah, I I have. Yeah, Targi's really good. Yep. Watergate just missed for me. Yeah, me too. Um, uh, the, I think it was like 14 or something like that. And a game called Drones versus Seagulls. I've played that one once on BG and didn't really like it. It's definitely a, a weird lane battler. <laughs> but so, uh, and then the second question, though, before we, we get to our number ones is where can people find you? Oh, uh, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the podcast platform. Just type Board Game Duel. Uh, we're also on YouTube. Uh, it's mostly our 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 podcast, but uh, it, there's no like video recording of us talking. It's just a still image with the the sound. But we we have a couple of other videos. We did like uh, player profiles for each of us, and we have a. Uh, a little uh, spoofy uh, training montage of uh, Vince it's getting ready to to play uh, Next Station London. So, and you guys are on Instagram as well, right? Yes, uh, I post on Instagram uh, mini reviews of the game we played, uh, both in French and English. Our podcast is in French, so maybe uh, not the best fit for your audience. But that's why I kind of like wanted to mention the the Instagram too, is because you can actually see what you guys are doing, and you know. Even if you yeah. just post in French, you can at least translate it, get it translated right there. But on Instagram, I try to do to do both, so you okay. should be good. 
Cool. And I will uh, make sure that I'm posting a link to that in the both the show notes if you're on podcasts or in the episode description if you are on YouTube. So let us finally get to the number one game. I can't I can't roll my tongues. Can you roll your tongue? <laughs> I can do the. Well, you can't do your own drum roll. That's 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 kind of you can't do that. But here we go. All right. What is your number one? <laughs> <laughs> OK, it's not much of a surprise, I guess. It's uh, War of the Rings second edition. Uh, by Roberto Di Miglio, Marco Maggi, and Francesco Nepitello, and published by Aris Games. So we touched a bit about it uh, during when I was talking about Star <laughs> Wars uh, Rebellion. Uh, it's but they're very similar. I almost put them as one entry to to get one more game uh, into it, but I thought that was cheating and it wasn't allowed. So. Oh, that was the cheating. That was the that was your line. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, basically. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh another big uh, what if, but uh, with uh, the Lord of the Ring instead of Star Wars. Uh, again, one player is playing the the evil side with a much bigger army sprawling all over the place, and then you have this crappy uh, good guys trying to just survive. In this one, you get uh, two different win conditions. You can win uh, military by the military. So if you conquer enough uh, cities of your enemy, you will win. Uh, it's there for the good guy, but it almost never happens because their army is so much more limited than the the bad ones. And then you have the, the quest for the ring. So you... You have Frodo and Sam with the ring and uh, the companions are with them and you move along. It's kind of a, again, a little bit of cat and mouse because at some points you might pop out somewhere uh, on a territory. Let's say you're in uh, Rivendell at the start of the game and then later you're uh, in the Moria or whatever and you're moving around in the the shadow player can spend resources to send like your Nazgul's and uh, Nazgul's and stuff like that to chase you, and then they they get better. They have a better chance of finding you and corrupting the the ring bearer. And it's one way they can win is like the the ring bearer takes too much corruption, and then they they succumb and bring the the ring back to Sauron. Or they can win if they can bring Frodo uh, all the way through Mordor, and then. Uh, destroyed the ring in the fires of Mount Doom, like they did in the the books and the movies. And uh, oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> and uh, the way the game works is each round you will uh, roll a bunch of dice, and the die face uh, will let you do different actions. Some of them must turn new troops or move characters around or play cards. There's a a lot of it is card driven, just like uh, Star Wars Rebellion. Uh, like you have a hand of card, you can use them either during combat or as a as, as a play on your turn. And those cards are like uh, based on characters and events from the books, uh, and they might require certain conditions to be met, like uh, the companions of the of the Fellowship of the Ring can. Uh, separate from the ring bearer just like they did in the the books and they go to help in the war uh, when they're with armies they will uh, 
make the armies better and then you can play certain cards and it's even better and uh, of course you have Gandalf uh, uh, who can die as Gandalf the Grey and then come back as Gandalf the White and uh, all those stuff and uh, this one is a little bit more faithful to the, the IP I think than Star Wars Rebellion because it's uh, the conditions to play the card are a little, little more narrow so it's closer to what how the, the events really happen but you can still get some weird things like uh, Gimli takes the the ring uh, to Mordor himself and stuff like that or uh, what if the 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 dwarf were more involved in the conflict and uh, there's a there's a lot going on in that one as well and as you said like if you're not sure which one to try between rebellion and war during they give a similar similar feel even though they they have very different rules but i would say like just go for your favorite ip between the two and try that one first is that why you chose war of the ring as your number one versus star wars rebellion number two like you're just more of a fan of of lord of the rings or does yeah. it because i've heard war of the ring is more of an epic tale as well to it versus yeah. star wars rebellion there's a bit of that and also it's actually one of the duel we did uh, on on my podcast and uh war of the ring versus star wars rebellion and i was the one that was uh on War of the Ring side, so I, I cannot, uh, I cannot put Star Rebellion over it. Uh, <laughs> my co-host would be too way too happy about that. <laughs> Fair, it's it's very on brand. <laughs> Got to stick with it. All right, my but, number one. Anything else? Actually, sorry. Anything else you wanted to say about it? Oh yeah, I just wanted to say that I love both of those games uh, a lot, and I don't think you can go wrong with either of them if you you like the ip are you a lord of the ring fan uh i have never read the books and i have never seen the movies actually i feel like that's very weird that makes me very weird <laughs> usually i would tell you to read the books first but in that case i think the movies are better probably i think well i think the way you could get me to watch it is like by putting War of the Ring number one and hearing so many people say how good it is, it makes me kind of want to take a week and be like, all right, I'm going to watch the movies. And then like, I'm going to schedule maybe a War of the Ring session with somebody like two weeks from now when I'm going to build up to like watching the movies and things. And then mm -hmm. after I'm done watching it, sounds like that would be cool. Wait yeah. a couple of weeks. Yeah. Every time I watch the movies, I want to play the game. And every time I play the game, I want to watch the movies. And I mean, that's if that's not like good IP use, I don't know what is. The fact you have good IP with good game, people should people should really do that more often. Make a good IP game. <laughs> all right, my number one is was just published last year because apparently I'm all about the hotness. As my list can attest to, I am only about <laughs> the hotness. <laughs> um, but it is ranked 623, and it is my number one game because it has so many things that I love about two player games. It has where you are constantly watching what the other player is doing at all times. It has the tug of war that I kind of like in some of the against these games. I like the theme of it. And ultimately, the reason that it'll go number one over games like Star Realms and Seven Wonders Duel and Fugitive and Mandala that have some parts of these is that the production is incredible on it. My number one game is Caper Europe. Hmm. 
So in Caper Europe, that one. all right, yeah, it's great. Yeah, so Caper Europe is a game in which you are both um, leaders of a crew that is going to perform a heist, and there are three locations on the board, and these can change from game to game. And you are basically playing tug of war with these different locations, and so the and this is a card drafting game so in the first round you are going to be drafting the thieves and thieves might be doing something that um uh, pulls the token to one location towards you or they might give you a scoring condition so from then on out every purple card that you put down is worth a point or every purple card that you put down brings the token one cl more closer to you on this location wherever you put it and then the next round you'll be drafting uh gear cards and then the third one, you do thieves again. And then the fourth one, you do uh, gear cards again. And the gear cards have to be put down on somewhere where you already have a thief. So throughout the game, you are essentially just drafting cards, putting it down somewhere, doing the action. There are very few actions, like pulling the token towards you, like stealing one of the items on the thing, or getting coins, getting money. So it is actually a very simple game to at least get down the basics for. But saying that, there is so much variety in the cards and in the locations that I have played a bunch of these games on BGA and in person, and I am still not tired of it. This is one of the games where I don't, I wouldn't mind playing it with the same person. And as you've talked about in some of your games before, where a metaphors. I start to learn that like, okay, they really like to go for coins early so that they can buy whatever they want later in the game. That's a, that's a definite strategy that some people go for. Some people go for trying to get the tokens all the way over to their side really early in the game so that you're kind of like, uh, I don't know what I can do with that token. I guess I'm going to have to steal the items only. But I also don't mind. Um, I also really enjoy just introducing this to new people because of that production quality that I talked about earlier. I mean... I scrounged for the the play mat and the metal coins. I have it all like very nice quality. You don't need that. Even the base is done. It's Keymaster Games. They're the same people who did uh, Parks. So if you've played that one, you know their production quality is just off the charts for the price. Um, what did, so you said you've played Caper Europe. What do you, yeah. you uh, said you liked it? Yeah, I played it only once. A friend showed it to me and. Uh... I really, I really enjoyed it. Uh, like the the many tugs of war that are going on at the same time, you have to choose which one you want to focus on, and uh, and I could see that like uh, with repeated plays, it probably would go much higher on my list as well. Um, as you said, there's a lot of depth there, like uh, and with the the twist of the card drafting between each rounds, uh, you, there's another layer of strategy that can uh you will get there if you play multiple times like oh i i know i cannot give that the opponent those two cards together so i have to draft one of them and so yep yeah, uh definitely one i would love to play more and i think would uh, rise on my list if uh if that happens i'll set up a game for us on bga after after we're done after we're done with this <laughs> for sure so that is our list. Do you want to go through your top 10 just real quick, just one more time so yep. people out there can hear it? So number 10, Mr. Jack Pocket. Number 9, Trick Shot. Number 8, Bandada. Number 7 was Jekyll versus Hyde. 
Then we had Battle Crest at number six, Patchwork number five, Innovation number four, Rift Force at number three, Star Wars Rebellion at number two, and uh, number one was War of the Ring second edition. And my number 10 was RRR. My number nine was An Empty Throne. My number eight was a dual kind of two two player trick taking section of Violet and the Grumpy Niece and Peter's Two Sheepdogs. Seven is Yokohama Duel. Six is Fog of Love, and then we held hands. Five, Mandala. Four, Fugitive. Three, Seven Wonders Duel with the Pantheon expansion. Two, Star War, Star Realms. And one was Cape for <laughs> Europe. And I forgot to mention that that one's designed by Unai Rubio, the art by Josh Emrich, and published by Keymaster Games. So that is going to be all for us today. Thank you so much, Sam, for coming onto the show and taking time out of your day to join us. And I'm sure everybody's going to be happy to see and hear somebody that isn't me. <laughs> and well thank you for the invite i had a lot of fun it was my first time doing a top 10 thing uh, i can see why uh, people do it all the time yeah it's definitely fun this is this is the first time i've done it with somebody i've usually do it so it's a little bit different so and thank you all for joining us today you can find uh i will put again the links to board game dual stuff down below and until next time Jane. Au revoir.